I am here with my wife, Nancy, and we are attempting our very first podcast. And so what Nancy and I thought we would do with this is we would go through the Ten Commandments. The Ten Commandments are one of these foundational aspects of the Christian faith, and we thought we'd try ten podcasts where we talk through each commandment by looking at what a different theologian or philosopher of either the Christian or Jewish tradition has to say about it. So on the email that you're going to be getting and also on the website that with these podcasts you are going to see where you can link and you can get the actual article that we're discussing. So if you'd like to read the article yourself either before or after you hear the discussion you are more than welcome to do that. The other thing I want to mention right up front is that Nancy and I have read this article but we purposely did not have any discussion about it before we are going live right now with the podcast because we want this to be very organic and to be very spontaneous and have the discussion just be kind of off the cuff, um, kind of like the average every evening conversations that Nancy and I usually have. Um, right? Yes, absolutely. Honey? Yeah. I've been doing all the talking right now. Did you want to say something? Say hi to everybody. Hi, everybody. That's my wife that just said that. Okay. Um, so the first... Uh, commandment here, the commandment of not having any other gods before God Almighty. Um, the article here was uh, written by Paul Capetz, and the first thing that he says right at the very beginning of the article is that the gospel must be interpreted in relation to this first commandment. That it's this first commandment that continues to keep the church's message of salvation from being distorted into what he says is anthropocentric or egocentric manners. What, what he means by that is this commandment protects us from essentially making God in our own image. Some of the very stuff we've been talking about in Ezekiel. Uh, Nancy, how have you maybe in some of your experiences in the church and that seeing this become a problem in the church where we tend to even take our Christian understanding of God and almost break this commandment by making him an idol. Well, I thought the article made some good comments about that aspect, about uh, keeping God first. And because the gospel, often we, we give it or we, we tell it to people in the sense of it's all about you. Like, you know, you're sinful, you're far away from God, and Jesus has come to bring you back to God so that it's all about us. Mm. And he makes a good point about that, that the gospel is about fixing our relationship with God so that we then can be in relationship with him where we should be in relation to him, not like that it's all about us, mm -hmm. so that then we can serve him. Yeah, I, he actually later on in the article even talks about that. He says, the strong emphasis upon salvation, uh, this is on page 189, where he says the strong emphasis on salvation can even distort the gospel. Uh, right, exactly. If we see God only as a savior or redeemer, um, he, it, it, it all becomes about us. Yeah, and he talks about, I can't remember where, somewhere in the article where he, he says, like, specifically, it's, it's about putting us in relation to God where we should be, so that then we can serve him. Yeah, so even if they're right ideas about God, like he's a savior and a redeemer, he mentions a one-sided, these one-sided concepts or images of God can be idolatrous. Yeah. 
and that we also have to remember that he's also creator, sustainer, and governor and all of that as well. So I agree. I think sometimes the way that we approach even telling people about God, about Jesus, can become almost self-serving, like Jesus is going to solve all your problems. He's the one that rescues you from your sin and all of these things. Um, and if, if that part is overemphasized to the neglect of the other, it's no wonder. I think a lot of people, as they go on in their Christian journey, sometimes they get very disillusioned because some of those promises don't seem to come true when <laughs> real struggles come. Yeah, that's, that's true. That's a good point. Have you sensed any of that in your own, maybe, experience when you've seen some of that? Some of those ideas about God kind of fall apart or be shattered? Yeah, for sure. I mean, even with my dad, he was somewhat like that. He, I think he prayed the sinner's prayer, like, many times because he kept thinking it would fix everything. Mm -hmm. And, and then he, he even made comments like, well, it doesn't work. So, you know, it was almost like, well, as soon as I asked Jesus to become part of my life, then everything should be better. Like, I don't know, I should feel better. I should feel, I should be able to be perfect. I should be able to act better. And um, obviously that didn't happen. And I think he just then thought the gospel doesn't work, that Jesus doesn't work. Because mm -hmm. that's how it was. I don't know. I don't want to blame anybody for how they portrayed Jesus to him, but that's how he took it anyway, so that it should be this fix thing. Mm -hmm. Should fix me, should make me perfect, should do make everything right between me and God, and therefore, like, you know, I guess I, I shouldn't sin anymore, I shouldn't have bad thoughts anymore, I should be able to live perfectly and act perfectly, and his idea was is this doesn't work. But so I think, it, like, it, the... The point of the gospel being it should be more about God and how we are in relation to God and understanding that, you know, a relationship with God and being a Christian means that we then look at the world differently. Our whole worldview is based around understanding how God looks at the world, not just about what God can do for me, I guess, and how he can fix everything. And Yeah, this this writer even seems to indicate that that even the the point that this commandment is placed first before all the other commandments is even significant. That in, in, in some ways even all the other commandments need to be interpreted in light of this. This sets up everything. Um, without this, even the commandments about stealing and committing adultery and all that, can it just become a, a, a type of moralism? Yeah, well, he does, and he does, like, kind of reiterate that whole, like, the first four commandments are, like, religious duties, and the next six are, like, our moral duties, so it's, like, how do we love God is, like, the first four, and how do we love our neighbor is, like, this, the next six, but if, obviously, the first four are first for a reason, you can't, like, love your neighbor unless you love God, really, like, right. you can't really love them in a, a true sense. Um, right, but even... So but, he kind of starts like that, right? Yeah, but even, but even keeping the moral law... Uh, it can become almost a type of idol. And that's why he even indicates that the first commandment is put first for even that priority. That if our entire goal of living is now all about, I'm not supposed to steal, or I'm not supposed to do this, or I'm not supposed to do that, we can even let our morality become an idol in our life. Or religion, I guess you could well, say. Well, yeah, because then it's all about you and how, whether, because you have to do it. You have to act in a certain way. That is just like legalistic. And I mean, the commandments can easily become legalistic, but the point, I think he's trying to say also that to keep the commandments from becoming legalistic, if God is first and you don't have other things in front of him and you understand God's place, 
like in relation to yourself and the world, that he is the creator and the redeemer. He talks about that a little bit later. Yeah. Then you, you don't, um, I guess, just see the commands of things I have to do in order to, you know, be good enough or be a Christian or like live this moral life. It's, it's, it comes out of then how I see God. Right. So the very priority of, of it being the first commandment sets the stage for everything else comes out of making sure that God is number one. Everything else has to flow out of that. Yeah. The whole gospel, everything, um, the way we live. So there was an interesting like thing that I hope you can explain because he he kind of says like that the commandments was given to Israel in a time when basically polytheism was everywhere mm-hmm. and and this was like totally new but then he he says that even like true monotheism didn't really even happen in Israel until after the exile mm-hmm. um, and then he uses what were the words? Do you remember these? Um, monolatry and henotheism. He says that, that basically the Jewish, the way the Jews worshiped God until after the exile was really more this henotheism monolatry. Yeah, well, what, so. <laughs> what, what, what he's saying there is that, um, you know, a lot of different theologians and, and writers say that the, the monotheism that we understand monotheism to be, or even the monotheism that the Jews had post-exile or at the exile, uh, we then tend to sometimes read back into uh, Abraham and all these different individuals. But that the understanding of what Abraham and some of the those back prior to the exodus and even prior to the um, uh, exile had was not necessarily that they believed that there was only one God and no other gods. That uh, a lot of them may have had the view that that God Yahweh was the supreme God, and that there were other gods that were of lesser beings. Or some of them may have had ideas that Yahweh was their God. He was the God of Israel, um, not necessarily the God of other so nations. So is that what those words mean then? That they they saw God as their God and their only God, but yep. they still saw that there were other, like the, the Baal and the Ashereth, these actually were gods. They were just lesser and not as powerful. Right. And that there's a lot of, of Israel's idea of God being developed throughout Scripture. So that what God is continuing to teach people is the fact that he not only, as, as we see in the prophets, that he is not only the, the supreme God, he is the only God. So what the article necessarily saying here is, is even with Moses and the commandment of you shall have no other gods before me, that commandment alone does not necessarily equal monotheism. Well, no, and I guess they put it that way because that's the people would have understood that better than him just saying, I'm the only God. Yes. So have no other gods before me doesn't necessarily negate in their mind that there are other gods. It's just saying to them, make sure I'm first. Yeah. But as the tradition continues to develop and as God reveals more and more of himself, especially through the prophets uh, and especially through their, the prophets as they begin to mock these other gods and, and that we begin to see God is meaning in that commandment even beyond that 
immediate context of understanding that not only are these gods to be put in second or third place, I am the number one god, but these gods actually don't even have any power. These gods don't even exist. I am the only god. And as we begin to see with the prophets and that as well, I am also not just the god of Israel. I am the god of the Babylonians. I'm the god of Tyre. I'm the god of all nations. Eventually, I'm the god mm. of the whole world. So he's, he seems to kind of tie it in with the understanding of God being not only the creator, but also the redeemer. Like he, it's, I don't know if I was understanding this right, but he talked about that it was really, like I said, after the exile where they understood more of that God was the creator and the redeemer. And before that, maybe didn't, they saw that as separate or something. Yeah, and also but what he means by that is that not only is there only one creator God that is the one that created everything, it wasn't that this God created the river and this God created, or, or you know, there's a supreme God and then he had demigods doing different parts of creation, but that there was one God who created all. That possibly was a earlier acceptance and understanding of Israel, hmm. but then as the exile goes and as especially as we start to see in Ezekiel and that by the end of the book of Ezekiel, Israel begins to understand also that God is not just their redeemer. Mm -hmm. There is also only one redeemer for all people. So it's not just that now God is the redeemer of Israel, but Baal maybe could be the one who redeems or fights for the Babylonians or mm -hmm. other nations and that. They are now beginning to understand that no, not only is there only one creator God, but there's also only one redeemer God for all people of all nations. Yeah. That, you know, what's interesting though, is that I was thinking about this in regards to like their ideas of Messiah, because really it's only after Jesus that you could have a true understanding of God being the creator and the redeemer. Right. Because even when, before Jesus, they understood that there's going to be a Messiah who's going to come and redeem us. And I suppose in some ways they could have seen that as like, almost like that could be like a separate God, although I think they saw it like a prophet. Right. right? But, but when Jesus comes and we can understand that Jesus was the redeemer, but he was God himself as well. Yeah. God redeemed us. God was the one who had to take the place himself of of us in in the paying for sin then he really becomes like the only god right and what we just have to remember is that there are hints of those things already back in the old testament but sometimes we take our more fully developed understanding of God as he has revealed himself, especially now in light of Christ, and we read that back into the Old Testament, which is fine as Christians to do, but sometimes we read back into the Old Testament as if people who lived back then had the same understanding. Yeah. And so we can see, for instance, in the Old Testament, the angel of the Lord in a much more significant way than, let's say, Jacob or Moses, who encountered the angel of the Lord, ever understood him to be. And so even some of our ideas of monotheism and all of that, um, certainly, yes, it's not that the Old Testament is saying something different about that, but the fuller understanding of it is progressively revealed throughout the history of Israel, and mm -hmm. then ultimately to the exile, and then with the coming of Christ, you write, a lot of these things blend together. Mm -hmm. I also thought it was interesting, um, he says here on page 178 that, that Yahweh's redemption of Israel made slavery from freedom possible. 
but this freedom freedom from slavery yeah yeah that Yahweh's redemption of Israel made their slavery um, or sorry he, he made, made freedom from slavery possible yeah but he talks about that this freedom was not a freedom to just do whatever you wanted right it was a freedom to be now used in Yahweh's service because the very first commandment is you shall have no other gods before me so it's if, if it was God saved them to be free well, then there wouldn't be any commandments at all. Mm -hmm. But they're now saved to be free, but yet in their freedom, the very first thing they have is a duty to not have any other gods before them because, interestingly, as soon as they do have any other gods before God, they're not free. They fall into slavery again. So it's this weird kind of thing where mm -hmm. God sets them free, but then gives them rules in a way to keep them free. Mm -hmm. uh, I think that's a good perspective on even how we need to understand some of the commandments or the morality that is taught in scripture for us as Christians. Yeah. Yeah. That's... Because sometimes I think that we think of those things as actually binding us up with handcuffs and rules again when... Well, yeah, because we, we see the commandments as rules we must follow rather than ways that make us free. If yeah. you live if you live according to the commandments, like you you are free, you're free from, um, you know, binding yourself in sin and all these other ways. Yeah, and so what Jesus is saying is that that he has set us free, but now he's calling us to live in a certain way. The number one way being have no other gods before me, mm -hmm. because that very way to live is what keeps us free. Mm -hmm. We're gonna take just a little bit of a commercial break right now. And I'm not sure what Pam's going to whip together for our, our commercial <laughs> interlude. Commercial break. And then we'll come back and spend a few more minutes on this uh, chapter. If you would like a free copy of Pastor Steph's book on the Ten Commandments called This is Love, send your address by email to stephp at wpgbc.org and we'll send you a free copy in the mail. Welcome back to our uh, podcast. We're just finishing off our discussion on the first commandment. You shall have no other gods before me. And uh, just the second half of the article that we're discussing, he, he talks about how the real issue today isn't necessarily the conflict between one religion and another, or even religion and secularism, but it's, it's the conflict between polytheism and monotheism in our own lives. He talks about the gods, therefore, that that are not necessarily supernatural beings, but they're value centers, objects of devotion. I think we can all think of, okay, in our own lives, what are our value centers and our objects of devotion? Um, is God really the only one? Yeah, he has this great uh, quote here by Reinhold Niebuhr, who says that for many Christians, even though we are monotheists, at least we believe in a monotheistic way of thinking about the world and that he says that in fact we are actually practical polytheists and so though we believe in monotheism we practice polytheism because he goes on here to say that sometimes we live for Jesus sometimes we live for country and sometimes we live for Yale yeah is, it's is kind of that goal. whole like for God and country like really that goes against the first commandment it, our whole life should be for God yeah and how easy it is for us to take 
even good things like our marriage or our children or maybe even the different things that we are involved in, maybe even good causes that we're involved in with different charities and that. But uh, these things can actually be like other gods in our life that can compete for first place. Yeah, I, I think... Um he like he kind of talks about those as what's what's your center of value, right? So you can do all those other things, but if if God isn't the center, if he isn't the one ahead of all the rest, yeah, then they just become like duties or they become gods to take the place of him because they're more important. Yeah, so how so how do we I guess push against that? How do we continue to because there's so many competing things i mean there's school there's sports there i mean lots of parents um feel like their lives are just running completely harried in so many different directions in some ways you could say that they are chasing after all of the gods in their polytheistic system yeah, true. But it is important to remember that that all the things God creates do have value. That these things still have value, but they they shouldn't usurp, I guess. Or they um, it also is about motives and how we spend our time. Like, do we love our neighbor because we're trying to, I don't know, just look good in the neighborhood, or do you love your neighbor because you first love God, and because God loves people, then I love people too. So, so this also comes down to motives and how we live. So what would you say, though, that even looks like? <laughs> yeah. Well, I don't know that you can necessarily go by what it looks like. It, it's a motive. It's like the motivation of, how, of, of what's in your heart. Is it, I mean, so the not message of the Bible is, is about God sees the heart. God doesn't necessarily look at your outward. You can, like he says so many times, you can go through all your you know, religious rites, but they have no meaning if, if your heart's not in the right place. So it's not necessarily just if I wake up every morning an extra two hours and just spend two hours in prayer before I get into everything else. That means I'm keeping the first commandment. Yeah. Yes, Not necessarily. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and this, is, this is the weird thing about all this that we have to be so careful of because waking up every single morning and praying for two hours can actually become more important than God. And then once again, I'm actually breaking the first commandment by doing that. He kind of talks about that when he says, like, we can claim to possess an Orthodox tradition where that becomes our God. I guess he's referring more to, like, the Orthodox Church or an infallible Pope, like the Catholic Church, or for us, an inerrant scripture. That becomes our God. Right. And that's why I think he, he's so profoundly right in this chapter where he says that that first commandment of keeping God in first place is actually foundation to, foundational for everything else because even our religiousness can so easily take place of God himself. But I think that a really important point too is not just about like how you live your life like so are you chasing after are you too busy doing other things and have no time for God or are your motivations wrong but it's also just about um, like how do you see God because if we see God in a false way then we're not putting him as number one mm -hmm. like so if you're if you're misunderstanding god if you're um i don't know what are some ways you might misunderstand like you just put him in a a different uh well expecting him to always act in certain ways that you want him to work in yeah or uh, i guess even yeah like putting seeing scripture as like 
the be all and end all where really the scriptures are supposed to point you to God, not like be the thing you worship. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Something like that. Um, That's, uh, I think that um, whole idea then, which you got back to earlier is that this comes down to our values and to our center and to, it's not necessarily even in regards to you got to do more of this or do less of that, but it's, it's the center out of which of, of out of which and why you are doing everything that you're doing. This 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 commandment kind of centers everything. Mm-hmm. He he also sort of mentions that Jesus was like the perfect example of of the loving God, loving neighbor balance and mm-hmm. putting this. Well, of course Jesus was the. Perfect well, of course example. he was, but I mean, yeah, you know, exactly. like it's just good to remember that because when you read about Jesus and how he lived and how he related to people and the time he took to spend with God, but then he also like sometimes you know. Uh, exhausted himself just serving people mm-hmm. then um well, good. Good, good reminder i guess of how it's how it's lived out well i hope this little discussion Bethany, oh oh i do want to i do want to just i do want to end because i really liked how he ended this article um he says he wants to translate this the ten commandments into contemporary idiom did you like how he put yeah, this it was good so he's like the first one do not have more than a single ultimate allegiance do not give ultimate loyalty to any earthly reality. Do not use the power of religion to harm others. What's that one referring to? That, that one there? Yeah. Um, not taking the Lord's name in vain. Ah, see? Mm-hmm. Do not treat with contempt the times set aside for rest. Right? Don't keep the Sabbath holy. Um, do not treat with contempt members of the family. So, the honoring your father and mother. Do not do violence against fellow human beings. I like how it just encompasses the whole do not murder and Jesus's thing about do not hate. Do not violate the commitment of sexual love. Do not claim the life or goods of others. Stealing. Do not damage others through misuse of human speech. Do not lust after the life or goods of others. There are just very contemporary ways to understand some of those commandments, but sometimes they, we just pinpoint do not steal. Oh, that's just about this, but they kind of broaden it. Mm -hmm. Well, Bethany, this is our first podcast. Next, we're going to do these every two weeks, and so you'll you'll get the next one in two weeks, where we are going to discuss the second commandment. And again, our purpose here is not to sort of answer everything, but just to stimulate a little bit of conversation, so that hopefully you can begin to be thinking about this, or maybe having some conversations with others about these topics. And also, I would encourage you to take the time and uh, print off or put it onto your iPad, and read the article for yourself. We'll see you later. Goodbye.